it started from a conversation I had with someone after the HOPE program on Wednesday night, and uh, as we were talking, they said, you know, it's just kind of interesting that the vast majority of the church and the congregation is going to, in the next five to ten years, because of kind of the median age that we are, um, going to decide where you're going to live, what you're going to do, and who you're going to marry or if you're going to marry. And there's just a lot of decisions. There's a lot of consequence um, to a lot of those decisions. And so it'd be interesting, and they didn't really say this, but this is my thought on the tail end of that. It'd be interesting to do a series on basically what is God's will for your life or have we, as, have we have re, you know, reverse engineered bad advice, how to miss God's will for your life. And the thing that we've talked about, if you haven't been here, if this is your first time, um, The thing that we talked about, which is really the essence of this entire series, is simple. It's that the micro is bigger than the macro. The micro is bigger than the macro. In other words, when we think about God's will, most of us think think of it through the lens of big decisions or decisions with consequence to them, with implications to them, with ramifications to them. We think through the lens of decision, but as you read the scripture, you find that God is much more interested in the day-to-day micro. And here's how we summarize that week two, that who you are becoming is more important than what you are deciding. Who you are becoming is more important than what you are deciding. And the reason that that's so significant is because of this. You can live in the right city, do the right job, marry the right person, and still be outside of the will of God. Because as you read through the scripture and you look for what do I do, who do I marry, where do I live, you will be very frustrated. But as you open the pages of scripture and you look for who do I become, It is everywhere. In fact, on just kind of a nuts and bolts reasonable level, who you're becoming is more important than what you're deciding because one, who you're becoming has more of a cumulative impact on the trajectory of our life and who you are informs what you're deciding. In other words, we all make decisions based on who we are, based on our experiences, based on our goals, based on our trajectory of our life, and who we're becoming not only has more of a cumulative effect, it in fact informs what we are deciding. Now, anybody who's married knows this. You can have a wonderful spouse, but if you aren't the right person, not if you marry the right person, if you aren't becoming the right person, then you bring baggage, you bring issues, and everybody does to a degree. But if you are working on those things, you have a level of self-awareness about those things, then you can go into marriage and you are much more likely to have a healthy marriage because you are a healthy individual. And healthy people make healthy marriages. I said this week too, and I don't know that this is necessarily something that everybody believes, but I just don't believe that there's anything called marriage problems. Well, there are, but they're really simple. It's, you know, why don't we have any more toothpaste? Why don't you pick some up at the store? Or it's, you know, would, do we do our toilet paper over or under the roll? That, that, those are marriage problems. What we have are single people problems. What we have is that we haven't become the right person in our singleness. And then we get married thinking that if I get married to the right person, my insufficiencies won't matter because their sufficiencies will cover my insufficiencies. Little did we know that we went into marriage as two insufficient people not becoming the right person. And what we brought into it was not marriage problems. Those are problems I had the entire time. They just manifested themselves in my marriage. Because who you're becoming is more important than what you're deciding. Now today, we are going to talk about decisions. We're going to talk about a specific framework or a decision-making tree or a lens through which I think we should all view how to make decisions. Because 
As much as there's the daily, there are big decisions that you and I face in life. Now, I want to rethink through this idea of big decisions for a second because I think when we think of big decisions, um, for many of us, again, you're in your you know, late teens, early 20s, mid-20s, perhaps early 30s, and you're still making those decisions. You're still deciding what you're going to do. You're still deciding who you're going to marry. You're still deciding what you're going to live, if you're going to have kids. But for those of us that are on the other side of those decisions, there are still lots of decisions that we make. And so what I want to talk about today is not big decisions. I want to talk about decisions of consequence that the direction to take is, is cloudy or unclear. Decisions of consequence that the direction to take is cloudy or unclear. In other words, this absolutely applies to the person that's trying to decide what they're going to major in. It absolutely applies to the person who's deciding whether or not it's time to buy a house. But it also applies to the person that has a problem with their kid because there's some behavioral issues going on and not really sure what to do. It's consequential and unclear. I want to give you a thought process whenever you face any decision, whether it's should I switch careers, should I do something different in my job, should I talk to this person about an issue, about a thing that's happening at work, should I talk to my spouse about what's going on, should we talk about downsizing, what should I do with my aging parents. This is any decision that you come to in life that is of consequence, big or small, in the direction or the decision is unclear. I want to give you a lens through which to view that decision that may not give you the exact decision, but I think will lead you in the direction that places you in God's will for your life. Now, there's three pieces to it. Usually I only have one point to the sermon, but you're all really, really smart people, and I know that you can hang on to all this at the same time, okay? So here we go. We're going to get started. In in, in the book of Psalms, we're going to start with something that uh, David said. Psalm chapter 119, verse 105. And this is what he says. He says, your word, talking about God's word, not Ben's word, by the way, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Basically, David, as he starts off this, he says, God, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now, the principle behind this is God's word begins to illuminate what's the right path when the path isn't clear. In other words, what does the Bible say? Pause. None of us hearing that thought like, oh, I didn't even think about that. Let me just just tell you, none of these things are brand new, but to put them all together, I think creates a whole new lens for you and I to view decisions. This is what David starts out by saying. This is what the the scriptures start out by saying. That God's word creates for us clarity, sight, and light in places where we don't have clarity and sight and light. In fact, we don't really... I think, fully grasp what David's saying as he's saying this. Because we live in, you know, most of us who live in Tallahassee or wherever you live, we live in a place that has lots of light and if you're, you know, environmentalist, light pollution, whatever. Um, you know, but you, you walk down the street and there's street lights and you walk down the, you know, the nighttime and there's, you know, lights from the city or there's lights from the place. And so we don't really see, but David's in a place where he has been a shepherd where it's just really, really dark. He's outside at nighttime, nothing but sheep, and he can't see anything. He says, God, your word is like when I can't see in front of me, It's like the lamp or the light that gives me clarity when there isn't much clarity because it's all so dark and uncertain. Here's the thing this is important. I think, in fact, I'm convinced of this. Many of us pray, many of us wonder what God's will is for things that he's already answered. 
I think for many of us, many of us pray and say, God, what's your will? God, what's your will? God, what's your will? And God says, I've already told you. I gave you my word, and my word informs my will, and I'm not going to will anything that's opposed to my word. Get a little practical with this. By the way, I hope today is very, very practical. Some of us, we pray and say, God, you know, there's this person that, man, they said something to me. They did something to me. They've continually done something and just rubbed me the wrong way, said something and done something that just continually hurt me. Maybe just one time did something, said something that hurt me. And I don't know if I should talk to them about it or not. So let me just pray and say, God, should I address them? Should I talk to them? Should I address them? Should I talk to them? <laughs> and God's word's pretty clear. If you have been hurt, if you have been offended, by your brother or sister, you should go to the source. But we do the opposite. We are hurt and we're offended by that person. And so we, instead of talking to that person, talk to every single other person that they know. And say, like, can you believe what Karen did? Freaking Karen, you know? And then, if you're, if you're, let me tell you, if you're real saved, this is what you do. You go to your community group and you say, you know, Karen just is a, you know, you know freaking Karen. So we all know Karen. We all have a Karen. By the way, if your name's Karen, I apologize. But, you know, we all know Karen. And let me, guys, we just need to pray for Karen because this is what Karen did to me. And meanwhile, it's like, did you talk to Karen? Karen, like, you know, you know in, in all your social circles is ruining your life. You're creating cumulative dissatisfaction with Karen among everybody else. And Karen doesn't even know. Karen's like, yeah, I just told her the truth. And she's pissed off about her. He's mad about it or you know but 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 here's what we do that's what God's word says but we pray about it God I just pray that you would send me a mentor someone to mentor me someone to disciple me it's like that's cute but you know people who you look up to you know who I think should mentor you someone who who should disciple you someone who you look at and you say I want to be like them you should go and pursue that person you should be mentored. You should be discipled. The Bible is really clear on that. But we want to sit back and pray, and as if God's just going to like let this person drop in our lap. Let me tell you, anybody you want to be like is probably busy, so you probably need to pursue them. I think you should have lots of mentors. I think you should have a relationship mentor. I think you should have a spiritual mentor. You should have a theological mentor. You should have a financial mentor. You should have an occupational mentor. I mean, you should have lots and lots and lots of mentors. It's clear. I used to you know, talk with high school students back in the day. I said, you know, I'm just praying about where to go to college. And I don't know because, you know, my parents say I shouldn't go there. You know, they say I shouldn't go to the University of Florida, which is a wonderful parenting decision. <laughs> and I'm trying to figure out, and they said, you know, really, you know, we can't go there. We can't afford that, and I should go to here instead. And, and that's, that, that's what they're saying. But I'm just praying, you know, what's God's will for me? It's like, man, I tell you, it's what your parents are saying. Because the Bible's pretty clear, especially when you're living under the roof and they're flipping the bill. You're to honor and obey your parents. But what if that's not God's will for my life? If they're not asking you to sin, that's God's will for your life. And if they're wrong, they're going to have to answer for Jesus for that. But that's very clear through Scripture. Yeah, yeah, but come on, let's just, let's just pray about it. It's like, that's so cute. Stop. Like, God's word says this directly. Grant said it so well, so succinctly last week. He said, basically, we are constantly looking for a new thing from God when we're not even paying attention to the current thing that God has already given us in his word. We want God to give us some new thought, some new direction, some new vision. We're not even paying attention to what he's already said. Frankly, for most of us, it's not necessarily that we don't want to listen to God's word. It's that maybe we don't even know God's word. 
We don't even spend time with it. Psalm 119 is so wonderful because David, over and over and over, says, God, I delight in your laws. I delight in your decrees. I delight in your word. He is satiated in the word of God. So part one is God's word. God will never will you to do anything opposed to what his word has already told you. And so the first thing to do is to go to scripture and say, God, what does your word say about this? But I know the pushback. It's, yeah, but I'm making a decision. What city do I live in? It's not, you know, <laughs> Ephesians doesn't say, yes, the market is right and appropriate for you to, to purchase a house at this point in time. Ephesians 2.19, you know. So, so what do I do with that? Glad you asked. If you got your Bible, you can flip over. Um, we're going <coughs> to drop over to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 um, is, is a wonderful chapter as a whole. In verse 6, he says something to start off in chapter 4, verse 6, that I think is um, one of the most unempathetic uh, statements in Scripture. So this is what he says. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, anybody who has anxiety in the room knows that's the worst thing that you can tell to somebody who's anxious, right? It's like, don't be anxious. Well, that makes me anxious because I'm anxious, so I shouldn't be anxious. So I get in this death spin of anxiety, like, and God said I shouldn't. Now God's mad at me. Now God's hating me. That makes me more anxious, and now I shouldn't be anxious, and now I'm more anxious. Stop, okay? Just, He says, don't be anxious about anything. But the point of this is just not to simply to not be anxious. Because life has lots of things that aren't clear that would cause us to be anxious. This is how he continues. He said, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication or petition. In other words, as you, as a person, go to God. Continually go to God. You say, God, this is what's going on. I don't know what to do. God, this is what's going on. I don't know what to do. As you go to him through prayer and petition, you just consistently go to God and say, God, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. God, here's what's happening. Here's what's happening. Here's what's happening. Don't be anxious, but in everything, through prayer and petition, by the way, with thanksgiving. I love that he says that. I think at the core of who we are, we miss gratitude. We miss gratitude. God, I'm just so concerned, I'm so stressed, I'm so worried because I have these two job opportunities. God, I just don't know which one is the right one to take. And so I just get stressed and I get worried and I get anxious. And God's like, I don't know that God's like this. I'm like, you entitled little son of a gun. Like, you have two incredible job opportunities. Like, be thankful that God has presented two great opportunities. God, I don't know, you know, if, should I go live in this new city, Nashville? No, that's not God's will for your life. That's bad advice. Stay in Tallahassee. Yes, that is God's will for your life, you know. Or should I move home with my parents? Parents would always say, that's not God's will for your life, you know. You know, what should I, come on, come on. You have the ability, you have the opportunity that most of the world would die to have. That you can go here, you can go here, you can go here. And no matter where you go, you're going to have a roof over your head. And worst case scenario, you're going to couch surf for a little bit until you find a job as a barista at some little place. And you make your life of making those little like leaf type things and somebody's little cocoa type thing, you know. (laughs) Be thankful. Let me tell you, let me tell you. As you pray to God because of a lack of clarity, and you go to him and you say, God, God, just please lead me, please guide me, please direct me, please guide me, please direct me, you just go over and over. God, whatever your will is above whatever my will is, God, I just want you to know, I am so thankful that I have the ability to pray about this, that I have these opportunities. And God, if nothing else, I am so thankful that I even get to talk to you. 
that I have a God that I can speak to. He says, as you do that, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And I love how he says, and this is the action, this is the consequence, this is the outcome when you put that first piece in place. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, in God's peace, which is a bit illogical compared to the implications of the circumstance that you're going in, the peace which surpasses another thing, this peace that people would look at and say, man, you got a big decision. Aren't, aren't you more concerned? Aren't you more worried? Aren't you more concerned? You say, yeah, but you know. It's a little bit unreasonable. It's a little bit illogical, but here's why. Because you know that you have access to in direction from your heavenly Father, who so love you, he gave his son to die for you. And if he would give his son to die for you, why would he not tell you where he wants to live, where he wants you to live? He wants to live inside of you, whole different summer for a whole different day. <laughs> but here's the point. God oftentimes, oftentimes guides and directs as you pray through peace. The peace that passes all understanding. I remember I was... Um, Going through a, uh, when I was in college, I had a, you know, somebody I was dating, and, you know, God, do I stay or do I go? <laughs> it wasn't Lindsay. That was more of her prayer, God, do I stay or do I go? This guy's kind of a weirdo. Um, I sat down with a guy who's still a pastor in town. Uh, his name is Reggie Hutchins. Many of you know him. He's super involved with uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Sat down with Pastor Reggie, and I said, Pastor Reggie, I just don't know. Here's what he said. He said, Ben, oftentimes God guides by where he gives you peace. He quoted this verse to me. This is, let me just tell you. If you have all kinds of, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do. This is the emotion that you need to pay attention to. Colossians 3, verse 15. This is what it says. And this is what the, the verse he quoted to me. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which indeed you were called as one body. And be, by the way, thankful. In other words, God guides and God directs through his peace. Now, say this. None of these pieces ought to be taken independently, but they work well when, they're, when they happen all concurrently. In other words, if you just go with what you have peace about, sometimes my peace can lead me astray because I'm having a difficult time figuring out, is that my peace? Is that just what I want to do? Or is that God's will? God's peace says, no, no, no. If it lines up with his word and you have a peace about it. By the way, not what's the easy thing to do. Because God's peace, the peace that passes all understanding, the peace of the Holy Spirit that's to guard your hearts and mind, and that the, the peace that's supposed to rule in your heart, let me tell you, that is not always. In fact, I would even say that's rarely the easy thing to do. This is, let me just tell you, bends how I apply this. I call this the late at night test. What I mean by that is this. I've got a decision to make. I'm not really sure where to go. Not really sure what to do. Something's happening, whether it's, you know, big decision, where to live, or small decision, you know, kid, behavioral problem. What do I do about this? And I'm in bed at night. 
and it's just me and God. And I'm talking to God, nobody else around, nobody knows. What do I, at the end of the day, have a peace that I know this is the right decision and this is the right direction? Love to ask that, ask that question when I'm sitting down with somebody. So many thoughts, so many emotions. At the end of the day, you're laying in your bed and you're being brutally honest with yourself. What do you feel a peace about? Because God guides through his peace, through his word, through God's word, and through God's peace. Last part of this, and then we'll move on. The more emotional the decision is, the longer it takes to have a peace about. The more emotional the decision is, the longer it takes for the emotion to subside and for the peace to take its place. All right, so last thing, part number three. Part number three. We're going to go over the book of Proverbs, chapter 11. So we're going to start. In fact, Proverbs, this is in a couple of different places. Proverbs, chapter 11, um, <laughs> this is throughout the book. This is what it says. Chapter 11, verse 14. Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselor, there is safety. Where there is no guidance, people fall. And when there is an abundance of counsel then there is safety. In other words, crazy thought. You should ask somebody. You should ask somebody wise. In fact, you should ask a lot of somebodies. This is, I think, probably the most important of the three because this gets the outside angle. This gets the older answer. This gets the wise answer. This gets the what do I do in a situation I don't know what to do. In fact, if you are ever pressed for time, and you don't know what to do, you don't know what to do, I would call the three wisest people I know, explain the situation, say, what do you think I should do? And I would trust their judgment over yours. Honestly. That you trust. Now, let me tell you what I'm not saying in this. God's word lines up with that. God's peace goes with that. God's wisdom or God's people. And it goes with that. What I'm not saying is, talk to your roommate. Because they're so wise, you know, and man, they're like, you know, you're 19 and they're 19 and they've just been through so much life. Is that a 19-year-old just went, woo? Classic 19. Anyway, <laughs> just kidding. I don't want to make fun of you. Um, let me tell you, this is, this is and here's what, here's what I say, wise counsel, here's what I mean. Perhaps your mentors that's, that are mentoring you, or perhaps the three or the four or the five people that you know are going to be brutally honest. These are the people, by the way, who when you have something and you're making a decision, they're kind of the last person you want to ask because they're the person that you know that's going to be the most honest. And you kind of don't want honesty. You just want somebody to agree with what you're saying. And so I'm going to ask my roommate as opposed to my parents. I'm going to ask my roommate as opposed to my mentor. I'm going to ask my roommate as opposed to this person because, or I'm going to ask my friend as opposed to that person, or I'm going to ask this group of friends instead of that group of friends because I know that these group of people will be more like me and think along the lines of me and it's so silly how we do that because we want what's best for us the person that we're going to ask wants what's best for us and so why in the world will we not ask that person or ask those people I mean, come on your roommates care about you your friends care about you your co-workers care about you but to not ask your parents it's like well parents don't get me that, that, that's cute I wish someday my daughter would say I don't get her. And that she's going to listen to someone who has far less experience, far less discernment, 
and who just has known her for about three semesters. Not saying that you don't care about your friends because you do. But good grief, I would tell my daughter the brutal, honest truth if that's what it took. Because I care about her and I love her. And you should have wise counsel in your life. In fact, you should go to the people who you know you don't want to talk to. Pay attention to that emotion, by the way. Whenever there's a, I don't really want to talk to that person, force yourself to talk to that person. I don't really want to know what they think, force yourself to find out what they think. Because there is wisdom in counsel. And come on, if God has a will for your life, and his word says there is wisdom in counsel, there is wisdom in wise counsel, there is wisdom in the counsel of many, don't you want to know what wisdom says about your situation? He he reiterates this actually throughout the book of Proverbs. He says this, in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22, he says, Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. (laughs) Well, I would like my plans to be successful, so let me talk to some people about it. Now, I made fun of young people, older folks, let let, let, let me press us a little bit, okay? I include us, because whatever. So, let me tell you this. The older you get, the less you do this. Point blank. The older you get, the less you do this. Because the older you get... The less people who there are who you think could add wisdom that you don't see, and the older you get, the more you're supposed to be the person with wisdom. So you know what we do? We talk to our spouse. And not that you shouldn't do that, because that is very, very important. But that should not be the summation of it. And I know it's difficult, because the older you get, the more you kind of want to have everything together. You want your family to have everything together. You want occupation to have everything together. You want financially to have everything together. I mean, you kind of want to have everything together. But we don't ask anybody about situations. We just talk to our spouse about it and think, that's seeking wise counsel. And your spouse is probably very wise, and I want to degrade that. But that is not the counsel of many. It's just not. Now, I know, again, the pushback is, well, who would I talk to? There's nobody that's been in my situation. There's some people, but I don't really know that they can add value. Let me tell you who wrote that verse. The guy who penned that verse is a guy who took over the nation of Israel, which was the world's superpower of the day, as he took over it. He's a guy who had a dream when he was a young man. The guy said, I'll give you anything, Solomon. And Solomon said back to him, well, God, if you can give me anything, I'm just so overwhelmed by the task at hand. Would you just please give me wisdom to know how to govern wisely, govern and lead wisely? God said that to Solomon, or Solomon said that to God. God said back to Solomon, Solomon, because you didn't ask for success, because you didn't ask for finances, because you didn't ask for political you know, and military power and, and victory, I'm going to give you all of that too, but I'm going to give you wisdom. There will be no one on planet earth like you. Kings would come from hundreds of miles away to hear King Solomon pontificate about wisdom. And King Solomon, who there wasn't like this wise group of counselors that said, oh yeah, back when I was the leader of the world's superpower, let me tell you what I did in that situation. There was nobody that was on his playing field. There was nobody that was on his playing field in terms of wisdom. No one knew what Solomon knew. No one was in the situation that Solomon was in. No one had the experience that Solomon had. And Solomon stands back in the book of Proverbs and says, and I'm telling you with all the wisdom I have, Wise counsel, lots of counsel is so extraordinarily important regardless of the season of your life. He does not delineate between if you're young and you don't know that much. He says, just let me tell you, lots of counsel, success. No counsel, failure. Which one do you 
want. And I get there's not a lot of people in your situation. I, can, I totally understand that. I totally understand that it's difficult to say, hey, I'm not strong enough, I'm not smart enough. Or perhaps I'm, I am strong enough, I'm smart enough. I just, you know, you're cool too, so what do you think? Let me just tell you. God's word, God's peace, God's people. God's word, God's peace, God's people. God's word, God, what does your word say about this? God's peace, God, if I'm brutally honest with myself and it's just me and you and I'm laying in bed at night, where do I have a peace? In God's people. The wise counsel, the wise prophets. If you're facing any decision of any consequence, that will, if not answer the question, at least put you in the direction of God's will for your life. I'll end by telling you, I told you that this has been the decision-making tree that I've used for years now. This is how we started the church. About, gosh, I don't know, six years ago, seven years ago. I don't even know how long we've been a a church. That's just a whole other debate. Um, I was sitting at Sonny's on Timber Lane Road. Obviously, Four Rivers hadn't opened up at that point. Um, but I was sitting in Sundays on Timber Lane Road. I was sitting with a couple of my, you know, my best friends, and we were talking about starting a church. And or, no, Actually, nobody was talking about, talk, talking about starting a church. All of a sudden, I had this idea. I had this thing that God just kind of landed on my heart, and I felt kind of unrest, unrestlessness about, you know, uh, or a restlessness, unrestlessness would be counterintuitive. Anyways, so I felt this restlessness about where I was and what God was calling me to, and all of a sudden, God just dropped this, you know, I want you to start a church in Tallahassee, Florida. And up to that point, I thought, maybe I'd start a church, but I'm going to go somewhere like South Africa, you know, somewhere that's like super cool. And I tell everybody, and they're like, oh my gosh, you're so spiritual i'm like you know bless you my, my child you know pray for you so and all of a sudden god says you know start a church here in tallahassee and i'm you know i have the same thought that most people ask when i started when we, when we said we we're going to do it it's like why tallahassee there's a church on every corner and so i legitimately thought that you know this was like an abraham and isaac type of thing where god would say okay yeah start a church tallahassee you know and i'd say okay god i'll do it you know i'll be willing to you know whatever in the future and i was never anti-tallahassee i just never was like i'm gonna live here for my entire life you know so i just said you know eventually after a couple days of prayer couldn't shake it so i finished, said. God, okay, fine. You know, if that's what you want me to do, I will gladly and joyfully do it. At which point I thought God would say, you know, in the words of all the 90s kids, psych. You know, and so he wouldn't really call me to do that. But no, God had done that. So I knew that my next step was to enter into a season of prayer. But before I entered into a season of prayer, I wanted to seek wise counsel. Because I knew I was going to seek wise counsel on the back end of this too. But basically, let me talk to four or five people in my life who I know are going to speak absolute truth to me. And my basic question was not, is God calling me to this? Just, do you think that this is a terrible idea? Because if you can answer for me on day one, so I don't have to spend the next six months praying and thinking and fasting about this, I would love to not just waste the next six months for an answer that you could have answered day one. Talk to my pastor, which is a little bit risky, because I basically said, hey, I'm going to start a, a church in the same town as you. He said, it was, it was frustrating. He was more excited about it than I was. I was like, stop, you're not happy. <laughs> Maybe he was just trying to get rid of me in hindsight. I just talked about that, a little self-awareness there. Anyway. Went and <laughs> I remember talking to uh, my then, I think we might have been engaged. We were, nah, we were dating. We were, we were probably going to get engaged. She knew it, whatever. You know how they're intuitive about that stuff. We think, we think we're supposed to, oh, she doesn't know, you know, whatever. So I remember talking to um, 
Lindsay, who would be my wife, and, you know, man, she would, have, she would have split back to Chattanooga in a heartbeat if it wasn't for this call. And so, you know, she was willing to go. I'm like, hey, you know how you wanted to only live in Tallahassee for about a year and a half while well, you went and got your master's degree and they wanted to go somewhere that was actually, like, you know, trendy at the time? And, you know, don't you want to go, wouldn't you rather just stay in Tallahassee forever? <laughs> and then I talked to my parents, and I never forget their reaction. It was, it was wonderful. They agreed. Everybody agreed, by the way. I remember I talked to my parents. This is a calling church situated specifically that we had a um, presence in the community where we served, that we didn't have to go somewhere else, that we actually, you know, existed in the same place. <laughs> my dad, it was a classic dad move. Um, now, I'm, by the way, I'm not like 19, when I, I'm like 28 years old, and I still, I'm saying, hey, I want to honor my parents, what are my parents, because my parents are going to be honest with me, and I trust my parents, I know my parents, my parents know me. So I said, what do you guys think? My dad put his head in his hand and said, you're never going to make any money, are you? <laughs> It must have all starts rolling back. We love you. We believe in you, you know. A little yin and yang there. Let me tell you. Because I value, and I, I talked to, to a couple of different mentors beyond that, a couple of different pastors beyond that, say, hey, can you answer for me? Because if this is a bad idea, if I'm not ready for it, if you don't think this is the direction of God, will you please answer? Because I think there is wisdom in counsel. And over and over and over and over it was confirmed. Went through a season of six months of prayer. We didn't tell anybody about it. And it was just praying and praying and praying and fasting and praying and fasting and praying and praying. And you're saying, God, will you please confirm to me? Because for me, let me tell you, the bigger the decision, the longer I take. The bigger the decision, the longer I take. I don't give an answer of or something that I have to give an answer to until I have to. And I didn't have to at any point. So I'm sitting there saying, God, it might take a year to find out a good piece about this. But God, I want to know because this is going to be difficult. This is going to be tough. This is going to require so much of me. This is going to require so much of my family. Before I enter into this, I want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is your will for my life. Over and over, he confirmed to me through peace. Over and over, he confirmed to me through his word that this, Ben, is the direction I have called you in. And after that, you know what I did? I sought more counsel because I still don't trust myself. This is a huge decision. And it kind of came over and over. It clarified for me the question of why in Tallahassee? And it wasn't because there needs to be a whole new church, a whole different church. You're going to do something that nobody else has ever done before. You're going to teach the Bible in a way that no one else has ever taught before. You're going to, you know, your music, oh my gosh, and when they play the box drum, you know, the whole town is going to get saved and think, we're not worthy. Boom, boom, you know. (laughs) Here's what it was. That I'm just calling you to be a part of the movement of God. And I want your church specifically to be located in the community that it serves. I want your church specifically to be located in the community that serves in the community that I want you to be located in. I want you to be located in the community of a melting pot of people. Where you have the rich, you got the poor, the educated, non-educated, non-educated but smarter than the educated. I want you to be in a community where you don't have to go somewhere else to serve. And that's not an indictment on anybody who has a church who, ha- who, who does. I think that's fantastic. This is just our calling. That the center of the church, like every church should be helping people to come to know Jesus. At the center of a church, like every other church, should be a heart and a desire for people to grow deeper and farther in relationship with him. But, but in this church specifically, that the center of the church, not as a committee of the church. In fact, we're going to talk for the next two weeks kind of about this, just so you get a heads up about what we're talking about in the next two weeks. As we talk about the future of the church. The church 
that exists in the community where, marginaliz- where marginalization exists. So we don't have to go to another neighborhood to serve. We can serve in the community that we already exist in. That was it. That simple. But let me tell you, it took months of prayer. It took months to get peace. It took months for his word. And it took lots and lots and lots of advisors of his people. Don't know what decisions you have. Don't know when you're going to have them. Don't know how big or how small. But if you ever face a decision that has implications, God's word, God's peace, God's people. God's word, God's peace, God's people. And here's what I believe wholeheartedly. That if I get to heaven and I talk to God and I say, God, had this decision, I wholeheartedly sought your word. I wholeheartedly prayed and prayed and prayed and felt led by the Holy Spirit in that area of peace. And I asked wise counsel, the people who I just didn't want to ask, I didn't want them to rain on my parade, but I asked anyways. And it all lined up. Here's what I'm conf- uh, just absolutely convinced of. God will not lead you astray. It's outside of the character of God. Just, just put one last piece of the puzzle together. Why on God's green earth would he give his son to die for you, to have a relationship with him, and in relationship with him, as you seek what he says, as you seek the leading of his spirit through peace, through prayer, and as you seek his people, it's not in the character of God for him to lead you astray. You will not make a decision outside of the will of God if you genuinely do all three of those things. Don't know what it is, don't know the application. But I hope and I pray that you make wise decisions on his word, on his peace, and on his people. And if you don't do anything else, I hope you know beyond a shadow of doubt that pales in comparison to who you are becoming. Because that is so much more significant than what you are deciding. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, thank you. That you direct us and guide us through your word. Your word is like a lamp to our feet and a light to our path when the path is dark and unsure. God, you lead us and guide us as we go to you not to be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with supplication. God, that we would make our, our, with thanksgiving, we would make our request known to you and your peace would surpass all understanding. And God, we know as we seek your people, advisors, counsel, no matter who we are, no matter how old we are, God, that we would be led and guided and directed by you. God, we know that you who gave your one and only son on the cross to die for us for the forgiveness of our sins, if you would love us that much, you would not lead us astray and you will not lead us astray as we earnestly seek you through your word, through your peace, and through your people. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.